Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling Hate Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Love Selling Hate Sales Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Gafford, who's in product marketing. Elizabeth, thank you for joining the show. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So wait a minute. We're, we're talking marketing on the sales podcast. What's going on? Absolutely. So much uh, is going on with marketing these days. Yeah, for sure. So I thought it'd be fun to take a little bit of a different perspective and get the other side of the coin. You know, marketing and sales have such a huge dependency on one another. It's great to crack the nut on some of those things and peel back a few of the different layers of the onion. And uh, we'll start with the first layer, which is I've actually sold to you in the past in one of your roles. So we can talk a little bit about what that experience is like. Be kind as you as, as you possibly can. Or, <laughs> Or just let it fly. That's fine too. Um, but I want to, you know, first talk about, you know, a lot of people have gone through and a lot of organizations have gone through a lot of different transitions during COVID. Um, so maybe give us a little bit of insight first into your world, what you're working on, what you're up to, and then what you've seen as a marketer in the COVID world. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my world has, has changed a lot. And um, like like you said, you've sold to me. And as a marketer, uh, that, that experience can be very interesting because I've been working and helping a lot of different platforms with marketing needs lately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, I, that I'm realizing as a marketer being sold to is it, it can be quite annoying. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like consumerism is kind of annoying now, especially when you're trapped at home or or, you know, you're behind your desk constantly. So the, the marketing is coming right in your face all the time, right? It's right. digital. It's coming from your to you at your laptop, through your Alexa, you know, your, your Google Assistant, your phone is coming everywhere, the radio. So uh, that, that's been an interesting uh, topic for me and, and something that I find very interesting because we have to do things a little bit differently now as marketers and, and have a little bit more empathy. So it's, it's, uh, it's not annoying. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the biggest buzzwords you'll see in in B2B marketing right now is customer experience, customer journey, and all that kind of stuff. Can you break that down? What does that actually mean? Yeah. I mean, through the customer experience, especially with product marketing, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're, you're tying in and bridging that gap between the, what product is trying to deliver and what, how you're going to sell it and and go to market. And, and so that customer experience is very important, but sometimes we forget about how much we're communicating. Sometimes we're communicating too much, right? Because you've got a marketing, all all the teams in the go-to-market world are communicating. And then the product team is communicating. Accounting is, is communicating. And so you've got to be cautious as a marketer because uh, that to me, that's what at the end of the day starts to become annoying because you're getting hit from every angle, but the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is saying to each other within an organization. You know, so like if you're, if you're somebody that's being marketed to, you have uh, accounting and finance may not know some of the marketing stuff that's being sent to, to somebody. And so you're almost, I, I think I got an email the other day that was like, one minute apart from the same company, but they were two totally different, uh, you know, topics. And so it was like, I wonder if that department knew that that department was sending that email at the same time. 
Well, and you know, that's, there's so many data silos within organizations right now. And as organizations scale and get bigger, I feel like they just create more and more silos. What are some of the things that you've seen to, that, that companies can do to bring that data together? Because unless you bring it together, that's going to continue to happen, right? It's all yeah. in the data. Uh, you know, customer data, can't even talk today, but no customer <laughs> data platforms really centralize that information mm-hmm. together. And, you know, I would encourage people to, to try to get that data together to view that journey. Like, what is that communication journey that's happening across the board? And, and there's a lot of platforms out there that allow you to do that, especially, um, you know, like you have Segment that's been just acquired by Twilio, which is really yeah, interesting. interesting. Uh, one one reason it's interesting to me too is because you know Twilio being a, a text and and also acquiring SynGrid, mm-hmm. you have you, you know they're bringing in that communication journey into the product now because they're a CDP, right? Right. So I think definitely bringing breaking those walls down will help you see how much communication you're doing as as a company. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is interesting when you think about that type of acquisition, right? Where you've taken some of those traditional endpoints, email and SMS, but getting that central hub integrated as a focal point, right? And I think that you are going to see a lot of organizations, and I'm seeing it personally, organizations more willing to take the leap and invest in their data, where the status quo has always been good enough. But to your point about now we're so acutely aware of the marketing that we're receiving. We're so acutely aware of the different sales touch points that we have. The customer experience is in your face and we're not standing for it. If it's not tailored and personalized and delivered through an Amazon-like experience, we're not going to deal with it. So customers have to take that time to, or companies have to take that time to take a step back, think about data. Where's it going to go? How do we unsilo it? And then to your point around customer data platforms, it's great to get all the data siloed and all that, but then what do you do? Like, what is that explicit journey map look like? How do you figure out what's that next leap you want the person to take with you? That's always an interesting thought to me from a product perspective. Are you thinking about it that way ever? Yeah, so that's something I'm working on now with with a team um, over at Practice Hero. And Practice Hero is a, is a platform for youth sports. So you mm. can book your practice facility through this very platform. Cool. Um, so very similar to like an Airbnb, but for um, youth, youth sports practice fields. And something interesting that we've done there is that we've, uh, we put all of our communication touch points in the same platform so we can view how much we're communicating, but mm-hmm. we use that to our benefit. So you can start to learn about who you're communicating to and, and their preferences and have that preference management. So that way you can market through many, many different channels. So you can right. have all kinds of different multi, you know, channels that you can, that you can uh, market towards, which is really helps you like have some empathy for who you're marketing so you don't annoy them. Uh, I think being cautious and and listening to them because they're going to tell you what, what they're going to respond. The data is going to show the response, right? Like what, how they're responding to your, your marketing and what that channel is. And so having that all in one platform is going to help you see what's, um, you know, working the best and what they're responding to. It's interesting. And then, you know, especially in B2B, you have such a dependency on the next step, which is serving up that data to your sales counterparts, Mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't just deals don't just, no one goes and clicks on a shopping cart and buys, you know, $100,000 SaaS software or, or, or whatever it may be. 
So what have you seen that's been helpful in terms of getting alignment with sales? I know it's an old, you know, sales and marketing alignment. It doesn't seem to be going away as something we talk about. So what do you serve up? What's the next best action? How do you get their attention? How do you, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen work? Well, marketing and sales teams that are already, um, you know, working close together are already, I think, I think that's something that's, that's been forced to happen, especially if you're in COVID times already, because um, selling, selling has been a little bit different, right? I think uh, one of the things that we've done at practice here that I, I, I really like, and it's, it's worked out nicely for us is we take our we kind of merge the worlds together. So it's, I call it like teeing up a tennis ball so somebody can serve it. And um, so what we've done recently is we created uh, an engine that displays uh, almost like a directory of places. And we got all of these, these, we asked our consumers and the people who are looking, who need, who, who have the, who use the value of practice hero, Mm -hmm. what they, you know, what places do they like to practice at? And through the, all of that marketing, we got the information back and we're able, you know, in marketing, we feel like that's our job to give sales as much information as, as possible that helps them, you know, close a deal, helps them um, take, you know, more uh, show the value of that deal so they can, you know, go in and close, close a bigger deal. And so what we did there is we, we automated that process because there's a lot of automation that has to be done for these different business processes. And, and so using different marketing automation tools, we, you know, have that request go through and we actually have that assigned to a sales rep. So that way they can have a full view of what all the information that that user or, or consumer has you know, provided us and responded to so that they can go in and, and have as much detail as possible. Hmm. So it's getting served up in the systems that they use day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the misses, right? Like a lot of stuff gets talked about in theory of, you know, even myself, right. I find I've, I've done a couple of workshops on sales and marketing alignment and, you know, create a common language, align on KPIs, you know, build your, your racy planning framework, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, none of that really means anything unless it gets put into the system that's they're working in day in and day out as a part of their daily workflow. So those automated things that can serve up those insights and present that next best action, I think is super incredible. Yeah. And if, and back to the point of the CDP, right, it's all centralized information. Mm-hmm. So the sales team isn't limited to what they see. Like we're trying to serve as much information as possible, not take away from what yeah. they see. Any insight into what that enablement looks like? Because I often find that, marketing has this feeling that they're providing all this great content and insights and whatnot to sales, but then there's just, they don't use it. They don't care about it. And then you ask, well, what did you do to enable them? How is it rolled out? And then you get crickets. So what have you seen in that? Well, I mean, I think sales personalities in general are never going to wait for a task to be assigned to them in a sales tool, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, if their job, it, is they enjoy selling. So they want to go out and sell. They want to talk to people. They want to tell the story. They want to explain the value of what, you know, they're bringing to the table. And so I think part of it is, is teaching them to understand 
how to look at those data points so right. that they can paint their own picture to sell that story. Like I, you, I don't, I really don't think you can give a salesperson like an exact script to follow day in, day out to actually close the deal. I think they have right. to see the, see the story points, see the data points that are happening that, and paint this picture for the customer to close it, a bigger deal. I, I, that's kind of my perspective on it. Yeah. I think it's super powerful. You know, we even had, we were doing a round table, within the last week. And one of the marketing leaders said that they think of, instead of thinking of sales as partners, they think of sales as the customer. Yeah, And it changes the perspective of how you make, how, how those interactions work. And even our CMO was saying, wow, I think I would think of our sales team a lot differently if I thought of it that way, rather than the expectations that you have when you think of them as this partner going into the market. I know it's a little bit strange, but it was an interesting concept that seemed to resonate. And I think it, I think it goes back to kind of like marketing, uh, like way back marketing, like kind of um, like what, like what, how it existed, right? Where you have, where you're saying like, you need marketing needs to qualify leads. Like, I think it goes mm-hmm. back to like that original model of generating leads. It's almost like you're just generating information that's going to help close that deal for sales. Right. Right. Yeah. So when you, when you think about the seat that you sit in and, I think marketers these days are probably the most inundated with with sales and marketing messaging on their own, just because, you know, the MarTech stack itself is what some 7,000, 8,000 platforms. Then you've got companies like ours that service those platforms and, and, uh, and, and things like that. What have you seen that's been really impactful that made you think, wow, that's really good marketing or that's really good sales. And what are some of the things that you've seen that just made you cringe a little bit? Oh, I'll start with the cringe. Perfect. <laughs> uh, the cringe is uh, is out of date information. You know, um, recently going through through changes myself. Yeah. Sales reps don't have very uh, up to date information, and so I still get sales calls for roles that I'm not in anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's it's. it's you can tell when you have a more um, senior uh, salesperson on the phone because they're going to start a conversation with you anyways you know, about, yeah. well, what are you doing now? And and to me, I prefer that because, and I love to answer the sales calls because I, I like to hear what their messaging is. And I'm like, well, how's that message working for you? You know, huh. and, and so, but then the newer people just get very um, embarrassed, right? Because they don't have the right information and the call goes cold very fast. And, right. and, and so like, that's something that makes me cringe because you just never know like I look at life like it's a Ferris wheel and you know when it's your time to get on it that's like a window of opportunity that you're going to jump through and that's the window you've been presented with so to me it's like you know if if you have the wrong information you got to try to open up some more opportunities and see what's going on and so yeah that made me cringe (laughs) Well, that's interesting, though, because, you know, you see a lot of sales experts on LinkedIn and whatnot who say, you know, that the only job of a cold call is to start a conversation. Well, it's a lot easier said than done, right? Like, don't just go in, pitch your product, blah, blah, blah. But what what's starting a conversation with you look like? How would somebody how would you why would you engage with someone or why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, I do get hit up by link, you know, LinkedIn and mail all day. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I will respond. And I, I think it's the ones that um, com- come across as uh, curious. They're, mm. they're, they're more curious than saying than desperate. Like I, I feel like without saying you're desperate, it's easy to read through the lines 
in, in the messaging. And so coming across as more curious and helpful and believing in the value versus trying to be desperate and make a sale is, is it will, is, is the biggest put off. It will make me like delete your message in a second. <laughs> more curious than desperate is a great line. I'm, I'm guessing when we edit down our promo clips, that'll be one of them. That's a, <laughs> that's really good. So, you know, I, I've heard people call that commission breath, the, the desperation. You can smell the commission breath from a mile away. That's good too. I haven't heard that one, but that's <laughs> spot on. That's pretty good. Well, you know, maybe uh, flip the table a little bit. I've actually, you know, we've been in a sales cycle together and, you know, I will pat myself on the back and say I won, but I'm yeah. sure it wasn't perfect. Right. So what are some of the things that you felt, you know, you went through that cycle with, with me and some of my competitors. So you've got a lot of different perspective. What are the things, some of the things that worked well from either side and some of the things that definitely could have been improved on that would have helped make your life easier. Cause I think, you know, we get caught up on our own stuff a lot and, and I'm guilty of that and forget that my job is to make your life easier. Right. So, you know, what were the good and what were the bad? Yeah. I, I think the, the good is transparency, right. Um, I, I felt like we could, be very transparent about our situation up front mm -hmm. with, with LeadMG um, from the beginning about, you know, like what we're doing, we're out here, we're, we're, we're doing a vendor analysis. We're looking at different um, implementation teams. We're looking mm -hmm. at different marketing automation teams. Here's the pain points we have. Right. And, you know, we, we, we kind of opened the kimono. We, we were very transparent and I think that worked very well. Um, how, how you responded to it. Like, and it's kind of like a doctor where they're like, you're telling them all your, your dirty details and um, you expect them to help you solve it, not kind of dive into it too much. Sometimes people say, okay, you don't fit in that box right. with, with your problem or, or they try to tell you what the problem was with, and then you realize they hadn't listened at all what the actual right. problems are. And so, uh, to me, I think it's the way that that you digested uh, the, what we were explaining was going on with the, with our and what we were trying to solve for. Sure. How do you get over? I think it is a common challenge in, especially in our world, and I think, but for any seller, right, is just the idea of you don't know, you don't know. I think good sellers are trained and are good at discovery, and again, getting a lay of the land, getting that landscape, and then translating that into a solution whatever that solution may be, but you run into that. You don't know, you don't know. How do you get over that sometimes? Cause sometimes you're in a box, right? You don't know where to go. Yeah. You know, I think you sometimes have to brainstorm together. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's what we had to do a lot in, in our, to, to find a solution is, um, it, you know, people are going to make decisions off of what they do know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you, if you don't know, then it's going to, maybe not the right decision is being made. And so a lot of times you don't know because you, you, you need a partner, right? <laughs> That's why right. you're looking for somebody to help you. And so you've got to, you've got to put it all up there, throw it all on the wall and see what sticks and, and see what you can, you know, make out of your two heads together, you know, two teams together, not building partnership. Yeah. So I, yeah. I would think that sounds like, you know, building that shared story is, is pretty important, right? Cause if it's just my story and my idea, it's, it doesn't matter, right? Like I'm, I'm not buying it. If yeah. it's the story that we come up with together and you have that buy-in, you know, then whatever the situation is within an organization, you know, maybe it's you who's making that decision or make you have, maybe you have a committee of three or four other people who's involved in that decision. Unless you're coming to that together, 
you're not going to have the buy-in to either sign the check or take it to more people and say, this is what I believe in, unless it's a shared story, a shared narrative. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about some of, you know, as you're involved in the MarTech world, I'm super interested just in that landscape because it's a world I've lived in for, for a long time. Um, what types of, because I sell services, right? Services is a little bit different than selling software. And I think that I'll tend to get that even in my own head, a little bit mixed up, right? I think, oh God, why would they do something like that? Or Because I sell through a lot of different software partners. So how, you know, I get a little frustrated sometimes with software sellers, but then I have to take a step back and think it's different. The sale is different. It's a different type of end game and whatnot. What's some of the, the best you've seen from a software seller in terms of devising a solution when the solution is their piece of software? Oh man, one of the best I've seen is is probably, um, you know, it, it, I think is admitting that that's not necessarily what your software solves for and how mm-hmm. it can be used, right? Um, yeah. That that's that's something that I think a lot of times you you run into like a yes man, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to software sales, and that doesn't work because um, I, I feel like there's a lot of innovative. Uh, marketers out there who are mm-hmm. looking at different tools to, especially these niche tools, because there's a lot of good marketing tools out there that yeah. do one thing really well, but you may need to kind of, you know, bring these together to do different things. And so it's, it's being transparent about what limitations are. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that I've seen. I've actually seen, you know, Marketo does that really well. They're mm-hmm. very clear like what the limitations are up front because they do have a powerful tool. And yeah. so being, they have the, the ability to be transparent with what it can't do. Yeah. So a little bit of that vulnerability, mm-hmm. like just being able to say that's, that's not our strength. Right. And then focusing on, I think focusing, then bringing it back to you and does that really matter to you and how much? Yeah. Right. Because starting to become a theme on this call is just how to be better. <laughs> how to be better. Well, yeah, you know, I think as and one of the problems that I'm I'm trying to, you know, think about globally is, you know, I've got 20 years of experience in sales. That doesn't mean I'm the best salesperson in the world, but I've also seen a lot of different things and worked in a lot of different environments. And I do think there are things that people can take from selling services. Most of my career, I've sold some sort of service, never really a product like a software or, or a physical product. So when you don't have the demo to fall back on, right? Something that somebody may want to see, what do you have left? Right? Yeah. I mean, hopefully you can paint a good story. (laughs) <laughs> exactly right. So it does. It comes back to, you know, I, I had a really great interview one time with um, a, a senior vice president of sales from Palo Alto Networks, Amy Slater. And she said that there's only really three legs of the stool. There's discovery, negotiation, and the problem, right? So if you don't have those three legs, like everything else is kind of gets lost in the middle. But if you don't have good discovery, you're not going to have a good negotiation. If you're not solving for that specific problem, and if you don't know what that problem is, there's 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 an issue. None of that has a demo in it. None of it has a pitch in it. None of it, you know, none of it's none of that stuff. So I always, when I work with young software sales reps, I like to say, imagine you didn't have something to sell. You're just selling air. Yeah, I've been there before too, where where the product isn't ready yet and mm-hmm. you need to market it. 
and you need to market it or, or even just in product testing, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of research, you're creating surveys and um, like uh, prototypes that you're convincing people to use as if it was a real product and you have to convince them to do that. So yeah. a lot of times you do have to paint that story without having something that even exists. That's interesting. And a lot of that research and whatnot is what goes in, especially in the early stages into like the buyer personas and the audience segments and things like that that you use later. Yeah, absolutely. Can can you help me understand, like bridge the gap for me, right? Like you hear that as a, as a seller, how do you, how does that get translated to me and what do I do with it? Yeah. So you know, once you identify who your users are, like, well, first you have to identify the problem, right? Like what mm-hmm. you're solving for and then how you're going to solve for that. Very similar to any kind of service sell situation, right. right? And so once we start to identify who those users are, we're able to, uh, you know, put personas to those mm-hmm. and then and, and then uh, almost market those personas to your marketers. <laughs> so okay. you're, you're explaining who they are. And, and that's the, that's where you're bridging the gap because a lot of times marketers don't know enough about their own product. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to have a go-to-market strategy. But the more they know about that product and the use cases and what those um, personas and, you know, the persona for each use case of like, what is it it solves? What is, you know, even if it's across different verticals, whatever it's different, um, you know, what you can do for retail could also happen for healthcare but it's right. a very similar use case, but it's a different, a different persona, which may have different buying personas. So right. there are different types of personas, depending on what, where you are in that. I, I would say whether you're in product marketing or sales, right. okay. um, but it's the same person. It just depends on what you're selling to. And so understanding, you know, explaining the value of that to your marketing and sales teams of what that, uh, user does it, it, in that use case helps them, I think, create the buyer uh, persona and the marketing personas that they're going to actually use to, to build out their strategies. Interesting. So have you seen a really good translation of that persona data into the hands of the sellers? Um, it's never perfect. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah never, but perfection isn't always the end game, right? It's just usability. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's, it evolves constantly. So the buy the, the persona itself evolves, right? Because mm-hmm. you have people making career changes over your user. You have, um, even in COVID times where you have, um, you have different roles that have come up throughout COVID. You have, right. uh, I think about even product management, right? You have, product management roles or even uh, marketing operation roles have evolved over the years. And so um, you have people doing wearing multiple hats because they can automate different processes and they can be involved in branding or content or stuff like that at the same time. And so I, I think it depends, you know, like your that story is constantly evolving and you have to keep up with it. Yeah. You mentioned um, operations a little bit there as you were talking about that. That is a, you think about the grand scheme of marketing or even sales, like marketing ops, sales ops, revenue ops. That's a very new profession. Yeah. And you were playing in that role a little bit in your, in your last position. What did you, what did you learn about marketing from marketing ops that you may not have seen before? Oh, the plumbing can be dirty. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. 
the plumbing can be very dirty, you know, to, to deliver a beautiful marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can be like almost running a marathon all the way right. to a, you know, the second that that email delivers into somebody's inbox or, you know, it, it, it can, it can truly be challenging with the OTHA, especially the more SaaS systems we introduce right. in the world, the, the heavier the plumbing gets. Yeah. Do you think, you know, one of the challenges I see is that ops, like you said, the plumbing can get very dirty and to fix the plumbing, you know, plumbers aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. Right. So oftentimes that's a heavier lift than executives are ready to real ready to like really invest in, right? Because they, they don't get it. And the pipes always break at the worst times. The worst times. Always. <laughs> so how how would you describe the value of ops to an executive? Oh, I, it's extremely important, um, especially if you're not going to roll up your sleeves and do it yourself, because right. it's something that's unavoidable and it takes maintenance. It's it's can, you have to be consistent. You have to have a strategy to keep your data clean, right? To mm -hmm. keep, the, keep the pipes clean, to keep the the systems clean. You also have to. It's so important because you also have to have a strategy to um, not just throw a system at a problem. Mm, I, I like that. I've been there before where we're like, we have this great strategy for this marketing campaign and, you know, sales is on board, uh, you know, budgets approved, you know, let's, we needed to do this yesterday. And so we just start finding systems to connect the dots, to make it achievable, right? Like you, right. you get a survey tool and you get, you, you get a, a CMS for this and you get an email tool for this, but oh, you want right. to do SMS. So we got SMS tools for this and you just start, you know, weaving it together, however you can to hit a deadline. Right. And that's very tricky. If you don't, if you don't understand some of the consequences about operations. Totally. <laughs> so totally. I think it's very valuable, uh, especially if you're not going to, like I said, roll up your, your sleeves and do it yourself. Yeah. Because, because I feel like the, profession itself is so still immature, right? And you're starting to see it really come up and see this hockey stick of talent come into the profession and make it really great. But a lot of these systems weren't introduced or set up with any sort of overarching strategy. So at what point do you take back, take a step back and say, time out, we should probably think about like what our system and stack strategy is before we keep introducing new things. Like what's our mission? Is that, was that a thing? Have you ever seen one that wasn't that way? Because I haven't. Uh, well, I mean, that's our business, right? So I'm not trying to be too self-serving here. <laughs> well, no, like I, every team I've worked on, um, it's like all of a sudden, because you, when a business starts growing, right? You talk about these, these businesses that are like rocket ships and they yeah. go really fast and you just start, you're just trying to execute. I think it's, it's a symptom of execution and it's something yeah. that just happens. Um, and then I think you need a marketing operations, you know, the operation people help you get it straight. It's like almost, it's like that, that role isn't necessarily, isn't needed until you have a problem. It's like, you don't really right. need a plumber until you, you don't, until you have a leak and you don't really care about that leak until you have like a big mold spot on your ceiling. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something that is now a hazard. So you're like, oh, yeah, I, that fixed. And so like, that's where I feel like that's something that is, you don't really necessarily know you need it until it's too late. Yeah. Well, it's that, that what you're describing typically happens around series C. 
right? You've invested all of this money in initial product, then you, you know, throw a sales force at getting some initial revenue in the door. And then you realize that this isn't scalable whatsoever. So you get your series C and then all of a sudden you invest in this scale. One of the problems I've seen, especially with startups is this notion of, well, just give me your best practices. <laughs> that drives me nuts. Is, is, is it just me? In like, catalog, just like, do what the recipe says. What does that even mean? <laughs> right. Is your, on one side, you want to tell me your business is so unique and you're a delicate snowflake, but on the other, you just want to say, give me your best practices. Like, how do you reconcile those two concepts? I, to me, I think that it's acceptance, right? I, I think that, you know, LeadMD has built a huge business, right? And I think it's because it's totally okay. To, it's almost like growing pains, right? It's a good problem to have, but you got to take care of it when it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think best practices is just a funny concept because there's no, especially in ops, right? Because again, it's, it's so young. There's no like definitive set of benchmarks or definitive governing body that says these are the best practices for running and scaling marketing ops. So yeah. you're really just taking what other people are willing to share as best practice. When the reality is, what is your strategy? How does that strategy translate to your system and stack? And then how do you then translate that into how you go to market? I think, you know, unless you're thinking about it that way, you're likely going to have a little bit of a gap. And it also, like best practice is something that is, I don't know if best practice is the right, is, I, I don't know how it ever got coined best yeah. practice, but it's like, to me, it should be like, tell me your trade secrets, <laughs> you know, right. like, what, what do you know? Like, tell me your, your, your biggest war story. Like what right. was like the worst story, you know, situation you were ever in and, you know, like how did y'all fix that? And then, and then you can compare, right? Like, are we that bad off? Maybe not. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe that was something like, are my pockets that deep? Because that's another thing, right? Is like, it depends on how much you've, you've put into it. I always go back to like building a house analogies. I don't know mm -hmm. why plumbing and stuff, but I always think about it's it. It's relatable. Yeah. And it, it's like for operations, right? You, you, if you're going to build a really pretty house on the outside, but you put really cheap materials on the inside, right. then you're, you know, they're not going to last as long. So they're going to have to be replaced soon. But just because your neighbor next door put in a certain kind of material or did something to their house doesn't mean that you should as well, right? Like they may have like tile and stuff because they have dogs and kids with sports and, you know, you may <laughs> be able to have carpet, whatever, you know, like right. it's, it's to me, best practices is something that's situational, right? Like it doesn't work for everybody. It's not a one size fits all solution. So what I'm hearing is you just want the cheat code. <laughs> like, just show me, tell me that you've got a shortcut for me to, to, to make this faster or less costly or whatever it is that you want to hear. Yeah. And I always say, if it was easy, we wouldn't be here. So you know, yeah, exactly. Right. Something else out. <laughs> so what types of things are you have going on? And you mentioned, um, practice hero, you've got a new product marketing role. What, yeah. what else do you have going on? So, so right now I'm helping a, a company called RackMe and they do a lot of um, print automation right now. So they, they take data and they um, have a bunch of different processes for automating like the creation of like statements and stuff like that. And so that way it's secure to put out in front of um, different uh 
I should, this is, I'm second day on this call. So bear with me. <laughs> so your pitch isn't fully dialed yet. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot about it, but uh, essentially it's very secure and it, um, you know, they work with a lot of print companies to deliver content for healthcare industries and banking and, and finance uh, industries. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah. So I'm helping them with their, uh, essentially coming up with some of the product marketing and helping identify some new channels that they can go into. Um, so yeah, learning a lot right now, digesting, drinking from the fire hose right now to, to learn as much as I can. Awesome. So if people want to learn more about rack me practice hero or find you, what should they do? Find me on LinkedIn. I'm always available there. Oh, in mail. So if it's, if it's curious enough, I will respond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the, that's, that's it then. That's, that's the one tip for the sellers listening. Cause this is a, a sales heavy <laughs> audience. What's the one tip to get ahead of you? Curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity. About you, your business. What's too creepy. Oh, uh, what's too, too far, too far. Ooh. Um, well, I mean, nobody stops by the office anymore. So that's, that's that was always too far for me. Cause you, you just, you can't expect somebody to just take time out of their day. Like I that always was a felt, thing for a while, right? Cupcake drops, cookie drops, whatever yeah. that, that was that like was a huge, too far. too far one, because I feel like I'm all always on a diet when they drop by donuts <laughs> and I'm like, now you're just, now you're just making me mad. <laughs> that's awesome. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that to me was always too far, but they don't do that anymore. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, just don't be annoying. Right. Like All right. don't be annoying. All right. Don't be annoying. Be curious <laughs> and don't bring donuts. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth, this was super fun. Thank you for joining the show. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. <laughs>